1: sources inside sources inside sources where ksl offers utah deeper insights on the news Host boyd matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on ksl news radio 102.7 fm and 1160 a.m well from now until november 8th we're going to hear a lot about this election starting with the president on thursday night Declaring that this election is a battle for the heart and soul of America. I think that's wrong phrase, wrong battle, wrong war. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. So that is the headline that the, head, that the president is going to speak on this battle for the soul of the nation, the soul of America. Again, I think that's the wrong thing. So for the next three days on Inside Sources, we are going to explore in a multitude of different ways. Where is the soul of America? What is the soul of America? What defines it? What undermines it? And we're going to start by looking at a crucial part of the soul of America, and that's this whole idea of cancel culture and what it's doing to the soul of America. So we're really pleased to have joining us once again on the program, J.D. Cicilli, a former managing editor of Reason, contributing uh, editor now for Reason.com. And uh, J.D., you had a great piece uh, talking about cancel culture, and it does have an impact, I think, on the soul of the nation. Uh, give us a little setup in terms of uh, what cancel culture is doing. We'll get into the the reasons and how it's self-inflicted in a second. Uh, but give us just kind of a, a little background piece there.
0: Oh, absolutely. When we talk about cancel culture, we, we're usually talking about people being called out and socially penalized for voicing opinions that are unpopular with the socially socially powerful group. Uh, You see it a lot on Twitter and social media. You see it in academia, people being denied the ability to speak, people sometimes being fired for their jobs, for voicing the wrong opinion, uh, supporting the wrong candidate. So we talk about it um, in kind of broad terms as uh, social penalties for having opinions that are considered unpopular by powerful groups. Um, and obviously it damages the public discourse because people then become dishonest in what they can say. They start you know, minding what they say in public and they also start resenting each other. It builds up a uh, social stress. So it's not a healthy process uh, because it goes beyond criticism. It goes to actually trying to penalize people for what they say and think.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. And I do think this impacts uh, everything. As, as you mentioned, we, we stop being honest in terms of what we we're really thinking, uh, which limits us in terms of our ability to have, a really big, nice, open debate in the country, which the country is really founded on. Uh, you mentioned this in terms of uh, both this self-silence, uh, but there's also another component to that that is, I think, even more damaging, and that's that public misrepresentation of those private views.
0: It is. I mean, as dangerous as cancel culture is when we're talking about responding to external Uh, penalties, people trying to penalize you for saying the wrong thing, Uh, debate actually becomes impossible if people start saying things they actually don't believe. And so you don't even know if if the opinion being voiced by the person you're talking to is their honest opinion or they're just saying what they think is safe. And this came up in a uh, recent survey by a group called Populous, which um, surveyed the public on uh, how comfortable people feel about saying what they believe, but also the extent, and this is really interesting, the extent to which they mouth opinions they don't actually believe. And it actually, as it turns out, it's, it's a long-standing problem in this country. There's a totalitarian quality to it, but it's self-inflicted. It's our culture. And at some level, you have to wonder about how healthy your democracy can be if public debate isn't even honest debate. If it's, a, it's, if it's about uh, opinions and statements that the people mouthing them don't actually believe.
1: Uh, I, I think that's just such a, an interesting thing to wrap your head around in terms of uh, – we always talk about totalitarianism. We always talk about our freedom of expression and freedom of the press. Uh, and yet we're self-inflicting a, a kind of uh, speech police that, uh, that actually prevents us from having any of the real crucial conversations in our society.
0: Well, it's exactly right. I mean, among the examples they gave is that uh, a, a lot of people, for instance, will say that um, there's actually a higher percentage of people who believe that parents should be able to guide what's taught in classrooms than are willing to say that. So it, um, it breaks down according to group. So there's not just one socially acceptable opinion across the country. People tend to censor themselves in the mouth opinions based upon the groups with which they identify the people they hang around with. So you'll find, for instance, that, um, you know, um, say Democrats, for instance, are likely to say, um, 44 percent of them or so, that corporate executives should take public opinions, uh, take public positions on social um, uh, matters. But only 11 percent of them actually believe that when you ask them what they truly think. And a higher percentage of Republicans, correspondingly, will say that they had been looking forward to the overturn of Roe v. Wade than actually were looking forward to that. So people are trying to please the group they identify with. They don't want to anger their peers, kind of their tribe. And this will tend to harden positions, and it will overcome. It will kind of cover up points of convergence, Uh, for instance, in terms of racism. Does does the classroom focus too much on racism? More white Americans are are, um, actually publicly saying that they think the classroom focuses too much on racial issues than actually believe that. But it's reversed for black Americans. Actually, more black Amer- Americans think that the classroom focuses too much on racial issues than, um, than say that publicly. So you could have um, you can actually have more polarization coming from these adopted opinions. But it can can actually hide points of agreement, and you end up with a very unhealthy debate. Um, And at some point, it's kind of solitarian. I mean, uh, I quoted Czesław Milosz, who was this Polish writer who talked about how intellectuals in Poland, after the communists came to power, felt compelled mouth opinions they didn't believe. Mm. But that's understandable in a culture in which people get shot for not doing that. I mean, if you're going to go to prison, if your family's going to be penalized and thrown in jail, well, yeah, we understand that. But why would that happen in a society where there's no legal penalty for voicing opinions that other people don't like? And unfortunately, the fact is, and it seems to me there's a longstanding tradition in democratic countries, um, in particular the United States, for people to feel compelled by the crowd, by the mob around them to either suppress their own opinions or to adopt the opinions that are considered acceptable by the majority. And actually, Alexis de Tocqueville was writing about this. He wrote Democracy in America back in the 1830s. Uh, His second edition came out in 1840. And he said that nowhere in the world is there less free speech or freedom of discussion than in America. And it wasn't because of the law. It was because we do this to ourselves. So modern cancel culture actually has these historical precedents in which people kind of defer to what they perceive as the majority and conceal their own opinions to the detriment of honest public discourse.
1: Yeah. And that, that undermines the soul of the nation uh, in such a significant way. You hit two points there that I just want to go back to real quickly, J.D. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, the, this idea of, of how it builds contempt um, and then how it it covers or prevents us from getting to those points of convergence uh, where we actually can have some moderation, where we actually ha- can have the integrity of compromise Uh, how do we get past that? Because, again, I think it does undercut uh, and undermine uh, that whole soul of the nation.
0: I I think this is one of the things that's so pernicious. I mean, if the law says that if you speak your mind, you're going to jail, and you change the law, you should get away with that. You should do away with that problem, right? Then people can speak their mind. Modern polls have very vigorous debate in public, whereas the polls under communism did not. But what do you do when a hundred and... 80 years later, Americans still are deferring to the majority. They're hiding and they're biting their tongue. They're, uh, they're, you know, um, mouthing opinions they don't believe because of cultural effects, because they want to defer to the majority. That is much more pernicious. That's so much harder to change because it's a culture that needs to be more tolerant of a divergent points of view, more individualist. We like to think of ourselves as individuals and as individualists, rugged individualism in the United States. But the fact of the matter is, this is, has long been a very majoritarian country. We defer too much to the mob, to be honest. And I don't know that there's an easy way to change a culture, to give people more backbone, to make the culture more tolerant and to get the honest debate um, you know, out in the, in the public where it needs to be. So we can discover points of actual disagreement, points of actual agreement and have um, healthy discourse rather than have um, kind of exaggerated polarization that also covers up points of agreement.
1: Uh, J.D. Cicilli, uh contributing editor at Reason.com. This is a fabulous piece. Cancel culture is self-inflicted. And, uh, J.D., thanks for helping us kick off this idea of how do we actually get to the soul of the nation and uh, really have those important, crucial conversations in a way that's honest and authentic and that allows us uh, to really move the country forward. This is a, a wonderful piece and the perfect principles to lay down Uh, as we start uh, what we'll hear a lot over uh, the the next uh, 70 days uh, of the battle for the soul of the nation. But this is a crucial part of it, and most of it is self-inflicted. J.D., thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: All right, that's some great insight uh, from J.D. Chile And as we start into this whole exploration, we're going to go on over the next couple of days. Soul of the nation, what is it? What defines it? and what undermines it. And one of those things that is clearly undermining it is either liking to be liked or being afraid to be disliked so that we can no longer have a conversation. Uh, As J.D. said, we're, we're either just building so much contempt by agreeing with the mob or our tribe who's around us that it's often preventing us from seeing those points of convergence where moderation, where the integrity of compromise actually exists, more of soul of the nation on Inside Sources. Stick around with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one.